may be seated. Right now, turn with me to John chapter 7. Actually, before you turn to John chapter 7, I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. I'm going to reference this again, so I want you to just have it in your brain a little bit. Look what it says. It says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Now turn with me to John chapter 7. You there? All right. Give me a thumbs up. You there? All right. Good. Okay. Verse 37, it says this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Uh, I've been yapping with um, a friend of mine that we, we kind of uh, talk back and forth, and, and he's not in the ministry, but we like, we like spur one another on, and uh, I really appreciate him, and we've been talking about some stuff, and he, he just texted me today, uh, not today, this week, and he said this, we need a move of the Spirit, that's what we need in our day, and I thought, man, you just, he has this way, he's kind of one of these guys that's almost like prophetic once in a while that he speaks, and he'll say something, and he'll just like cut through the knife, cut like a knife through something, and I thought, wow, that is exactly it. And I've just been stewing on this this week, thinking, Lord, we need just a fresh work of your spirit in our lives, in our church, in our country, in the, in the world. And I love this text here as, as Jesus uh, shares. And let me give you the context. Well, here's the context of John chapter 7. Because we just read this and sometimes we don't catch so much of what is going on because we're just missing parts of the story. We don't necessarily see what's between the lines and the gospel writers. They give us the goods. They give us enough. But there's lots of other good stuff and gems hidden in the midst of what Jesus was saying here. And so it's interesting. This was during uh, the, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, It's the time of Pentecost, which we know Pentecost comes when? 50 days after Passover. And, and the Feast of Booths was one of three major festivals on the Jewish calendar in which all the males in Israel were expected to come to Jerusalem and they were uh, to appear at the temple and they were uh, to worship. And so it's in the midst of this context, this week-long festival that Jesus stands up and he makes this declaration in the midst of all that's going on in the temple grounds. In fact, John tells us that it was the last day of this feast, and he says it was the greatest day of this feast. So with regards to this week-long festival, this is the, the highlight, the climax, the point that everything has been working towards as they've been worshiping and seeking the Lord and practicing some of the religious practices of that festival and all the things that were involved in it. And in fact, Jesus is interrupting something that is going on here in the temple when these very words are, are told. And John does to tell us this, but we, we know this when we study what, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles and all that was going on. And so uh, 
what would happen is this, is that during the, the Feast of Booths, it was a time where they were celebrating um, the harvest coming in. They were remembering the coming down of the law. And they were remembering uh, water being poured out from the rock when they were in the wilderness wanderings. And so one of the things that would happen each day of the feast for seven days is this, is that the high priest would leave the temple. He would head south out of the temple. He would go down what's called the southern steps and he would go into the original city of Jerusalem. Kind of, you know, the, 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 the spot where David was called the city of David, where David had first conquered. And there in the city of David, as he made this descent down the mountain into the city of David was a spring called the Gihon Spring. And uh, that's the best spot in the scriptures when you read about the pools of Siloam. Remember that? You know that reference? The, the spring of Gehon was the spring that fed the pools of Siloam. And so the priest would go down there. He would take water from the spring and then there would be a procession and it would be brought back up to the temple and it would be poured out to the Lord and they, they would thank the Lord for all of his goodness. That he provides the harvest. That he provides water. That they have water to live by. And it's, it's interesting that the, the term Gehan in Hebrew actually means this. It means to burst forth. I, I once asked our, our Hebrew guide when we were, our Jewish guide when we were over in Israel. I said, what, what does Gehan mean? Tell me. He says, oh, how do you say it in English? He's so funny. Oh, it means this. That's what it means, he says. I said, that's what it means? He says, yeah, it means like bursting forth, but it's not steady. It just, it comes in waves. It comes and it goes and it comes and it goes. And it's, you don't know how to expect it or when it's going to come. I said, man, that's awesome. Because it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. A picture of the way the Spirit works, that bursting forth. In fact, uh, a Hebrew dictionary will tell you this, that it, it, that it means this, a river breaking out from its source. And so this is an incredible picture. You know, the high priest is making this procession down to this spring. He's collecting water from this, this river that is breaking forth from its source. It's bursting forth. And then he brings it back to the temple to be poured out. In fact... The priest would use a special golden pitcher that was set aside for this time of the year, for this, this procession and this ritual act where he would, he would take this golden pitcher and while a choir sang, actually, do you know what the choir sang? The, the choir sang Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3. That's what they were singing as the high priest went down, which is then, let me read it to you again. It's this, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And so the choir would sing that. You know, all the, we read about in the Old Testament, all the, all the choirs and everyone that was involved. And, and so they would, they would go down this great procession down to the, the spring, get the water, and then they would return to the altar where it would be poured out. And this ritual reminded them of just God's provision. The water from this source, the rock. You know, we know the picture from the Old Testament, water coming from the rock. It's a... Jesus is the rock. The spirit is that picture of the water. And, and so for them, it prophetically spoke of the coming of the Messiah. 
Like this was a very messianic picture in the mind of the Jew as they were going down to worship. And so this, this happened on the feast, uh, on the greatest day of the feast, John tells us, the last and greatest day. Now here's the thing. During these feasts, the city of Jerusalem would swell from 60,000 to a million people. Isn't that crazy? It's just hard to imagine that, that this little ancient city could go from 60,000 people to a million there. And yet that's what was going on. And so this whole procession is happening. You got to get this kind of picture in your mind. I'd say, I don't know. It's probably about 500 meters, maybe 700 meters, this distance from the temple down to this spring and then back again. And the choirs are singing. The crowds are there. There's tens upon tens of thousands of people present. And while there, all this is going on, Jesus stands up and he interrupts the whole thing. That's what we miss when we see what's going on. It's like, why were the Pharisees always so mad at Jesus? Are you kidding? He's like totally interrupting this. Like, it's like somebody standing up here in the middle of church and just, pfft, what would we do? We'd like, I'd say, hey, can somebody remove that person, please? <laughs> Wouldn't we? That's what would happen. Probably if someone was like interrupting what was going on, we'd say, we need to have that person removed. It's no wonder the Pharisees said, get that Jesus out of here. It's like, are you kidding? And so Jesus stood and said in a loud voice these words that we read, and really it was this. Well, let me read it again. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What a great picture. This was a totally clear messianic claim. That's what we miss. You know, it's like Gentile followers of Jesus as we read these things. We don't understand that what Jesus is doing is a messianic claim. This, this was like tied to this. Well, Jesus never said that he was the son. of He never said this. He never said that. Everybody knew. Every Jewish person knew exactly what Jesus was doing when he stood up and he interrupted this. He was, he was making a formal announcement. I'm the Messiah. You could go to that spring or you can come to me. You can go to that spring and have water that will leave you thirsty like, just like in John 4 or you can come to me and you'll have rivers of living water bursting forth from your life. Come and drink. That was an, that's an offer of salvation. An offer of salvation. Clear messianic claim. Remember John the Baptist? John was asked if, if he was the one to come or should they expect someone else. And John, the scripture says, did not fail to declare, I am not he. I'm not the one you're looking for, but after me will come one whose sandals I am not worthy to untie I baptize you with water for repentance, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so Jesus said this, streams of living water will flow from you from the one, for the one who believes in Jesus. That is this. They will have this source, this continual source and outflow of satisfaction and life that my spirit will provide for them continually. Like Isaiah Chapter 12, verse 3 says, with joy, you will draw from the waters of salvation. John 7, 
39 in that verse there, John explains that the, that the living water was the coming gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 39. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who had believed in him were yet to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The, the Spirit... We know this as followers of Jesus, that the spirit within the believer, the spirit within the follower of Jesus satisfies our need for God. That's that sense of, that's his work in you, that sense of joy, that sense of rest, that sense of peace. And as, as he says this here, well, it's, it's the spirit that provides regeneration, you know, that provides guidance, that provides for us empowerment, the scripture tells us the Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing the things to come, the promise of eternity. And so these words that up until that time the Spirit had not yet been given are simply, they simply actually mean this in real clear translation, for there was not yet Spirit. That's what it means. He says the Spirit had not yet been given, for there was not yet Spirit. Meaning, you know, we don't take that in an absolute sense, because we know that the spirit was working and he was active even in the Old Testament. But Jesus here is referring to a, a special sealing, a special baptizing, the indwelling work of the spirit for his people. Which would start, as we know, at the day of Pentecost. Jesus said he would send the spirit to his followers. Because the spirit had not yet been given to indwell in his followers permanently. That happened the day after Jesus had been glorified. That was after his death, his resurrection, um, and before the ascension. I, Pastor Joel did a great job a number of weeks back. Man, I encourage you. I, I tried to get it onto our website, but I couldn't download it. So I encourage you to go to Calvary Chapel, Sunshine Coast, and you can listen to the message of Pastor Joel on the baptism of the Holy Spirit there. But... Um, Jesus said this, you know, after he had been, uh, or before he had been crucified, as he was meeting with his disciples in John chapter 14, it's that passage where he is, he's talking with them on the night that he was betrayed. And he says this to them in John 14, verse 16 and 17, he says, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Jesus says two things to his, his or a few things here that I'll just point out to his disciples on the night. He, he says this, the spirit dwells with you. He, he's with you. That is the, that word that uh, describes the spirit, that he's a helper, that he's a comforter. He's the parakleot, parakleos which means this, he comes beside you like a paramedic. He's with you. He's with you everywhere you go as a follower of Jesus, with everyone, pointing us to Jesus. He's literally, it means this, that he's called to your side. The spirit is with you. Isn't that a great picture? He's called right side by side. Like we're gonna see in Philippians, actually, we we're gonna talk about it this morning until I change it up, but, but, but Paul commended the Philippians because he says we're doing ministry side by side. He says it a few times in Philippians. And it's interesting that we read this about the spirit that, that he's with us. He's side by side with us. But then the other thing that Jesus says about him is at the end of verse 17, he says this, and he will be 
in you. In other words, this was something that was yet to happen for these disciples. The Spirit was with them, but he was not yet in them. And it was after his resurrection that Jesus appeared to the disciples when they had locked themselves in a room. They were freaked out. They were in fear of those who were, you know, pursuing followers of Christ and in fear of the fact that there were rumors flying around that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so they had locked themselves up in this room and closed the doors and the windows. And the scripture tells us in John chapter 20 that Jesus appeared in their midst, just showed up right in their midst. And he said this to them, peace be among you. He spoke right to their fear, peace. And then he said this in John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. It's a crazy picture. I, I always just wonder in my mind, like, what was that like? It's like to have Jesus. If I breathed on you, you'd be like, wow, that's garlicky. Uh, I, I don't know, but you know, he breathed on them. <sighs> Receive the Holy Spirit. And the indwelling, abiding presence of the, of the Spirit entered them. And we know that's the pattern of salvation for every person who follows Jesus. The Spirit, the Spirit goes from just being with them when they weren't following Jesus to being in them when they give their lives to Jesus. He, he comes and he indwells and his indwelling abiding presence is the evidence of salvation. It's one of the evidences of salvation. Paul, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 6. He says, don't you know that you're God's temple? Don't you know that? Don't you know that God's spirit lives in you? That God, that God is establishing in you a dwelling place for his presence, a temple. That's what a temple is always about. You know that that's actually the picture of Genesis, that when God created the heavens and the earth, he was looking for a place for his presence to dwell. Creation was like a temple until man destroyed it. And so God said, okay, I'll save my creation and I will make men and women my temple and my spirit will abide there. God establishing a dwelling place for himself. The presence of a holy God right within his creation. And the Holy Spirit is the, is the seal of purchase on your life. His presence in you is the very deposit that guarantees the inheritance that is coming. You know, it's like, you say to someone, it's like, how do you know you're saved? That's a hard thing to describe sometimes. It's like, how do you know? It's like, well, I don't, I don't know. I know. Well, how do you know? I don't know. I know that I know. I, I read this old quote for some old preacher one time where he got asked, and he's like, because I know that 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 I know. And he just kept going and going and going because it was just something that he knew in his inner man that it's like, how do you how do you describe? And yet the Spirit confirms, it bears witness. The Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are saved. And the Holy Spirit bears, bears witness of Jesus to us. John tells us about that in John 15, 26. I'll, I'll read this to you. It says this, but when the helper comes, 
whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. See, the Holy Spirit is doing this work all the time. He is testifying to Jesus. He is bearing witness of Jesus. He is pointing people to Jesus. He is convicting John, or Jesus said, John recorded it, he is convicting the world with regards to sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come, and he's doing it all by pointing people to Jesus. He's saying, look, you fall short of the glory of God, but there's one who meets the righteousness of God. Look, you know in your heart that there's a judgment coming. And this is who the judge is. The spirit is bearing witness. He testifies to Jesus. And Jesus said this. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, this is to your advantage. It's like, it's hard for me to believe when I hear that. You know, you just put yourself in, in the sandals of the disciples. It's like, Jesus, you're our everything. And he actually says to them, it's to your benefit, it's to your advantage that I go because then the Spirit's gonna come and he's gonna indwell you. And so the Holy Spirit bears witness uh, of Jesus to us, but the, the other thing is this, is that the Holy Spirit also bears witness of Jesus through us. The gospel writer Luke said this, you are witnesses of these things. Quoting Jesus, I am going to send to you what the Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. See, the Holy Spirit, one of his jobs is this, is that he, he's with us, he's in us, and he makes us witnesses of Christ Jesus. And just as he testifies to Jesus, his work is this, is that he makes us and he turns us into those very same witnesses that our lives would witness and testify to Jesus. You know, just before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said to his disciples, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What a promise. And the promise of Jesus was this, that not just that the Holy Spirit would be in the disciples, not just that he would be with the disciples, but also that he would come upon them like he came upon, well, the 120 on the day of Pentecost. Or even like we see in the Old Testament how he, he came upon at various times and for various purposes, some of those Old Testament characters. And the idea is this, is that as Jesus speaks, he's saying this, that, that power will come upon you when the Spirit comes upon you. Dynamis, dynamite. An inherent residing power that results in a greater witness of Jesus. He will come upon you. With you, in you, and upon you to make you a greater witness for Jesus. With you to help you, in you to bear witness that you are saved and upon you to make you a witness for Jesus. And do you desire that? Do you just desire to be a great, have a greater witness for Jesus? Don't you want that? Just to be bold, to be able to share the love of Christ, greater love for God, 
that results in a greater heart for people, we need to be close with that power of the Spirit. Acts chapter 2 tells us about the day of Pentecost. Turn with me in your Bibles. Acts chapter 2. It says this, let's actually just start by reading here in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were, sit where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It's that great picture. I mean, I always, I always just can't resist saying, you probably heard me say it a hundred times over the years, you know, but just that, that idea of when the law came down from on Mount Sinai, what happened? The result was 3,000 died. But when the Spirit came down at Pentecost, the result was this, 3,000 were saved. And at Pentecost, uh, things changed for the followers of Jesus because, well, because the Spirit would not just be with them or dwell in them, but that he would come upon them in power. His presence would be permanent and not temporary. In fact, you know, it's kind of interesting when you think about it. When did Jesus make this announcement about if we would come to him? It was in John chapter 7. It was at Pentecost. It was one year beforehand. He interrupted the whole thing. And it was the, within a calendar year, he's crucified and died and buried and raised from the dead. And the reality of that promise is coming alive for his followers the very next year. And when the Holy Spirit came from heaven, as the Father sent him, the first thing that, that happened that we read about here that we can see and observe was that this sound of a, that there was a sound of a, Mighty rushing wind. The scripture doesn't say that it was a wind. It says it was the sound of a wind. <sighs> that breath, that rush, Gehan, a spring breaking forth from its source. And the sound of the wind came suddenly without warning. And Luke says that it came from heaven. That was the source. Heaven was the source. The spirit came forth from heaven. And he filled that whole house. And, and the word house can actually be translated temple. He filled the temple. He came and he filled the temple. You. That was the, he filled the temple of the disciples as they were meeting. And they, and they were meeting somewhere on the temple grounds. Verse 3 actually says that they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to, to rest on each of them. So there's this, there's this uh, audible sound that they hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and then there's a, a second sign that they see, that it's visual, they spot it with their eyes, and Luke tells us they saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire come and separate and come to rest on each one of them. They were no more, uh, you know, tongues of fire than the sound of wind was actual wind. The, the, the fire came in and it rested on each one of them, split up and divided and rested on each one of the 120, and it's interesting that John, actually, the, 
John the Baptist actually prophesied about Jesus. He said he will baptize you with the spirit and with fire. And, and it's not fire to burn them, but fire to consume them. You know, the young adults were at my place on Thursday night and we were having a, just a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. It's, I'm having a blast hanging out with them for a little bit here. And uh, we were talking about, the f- about fire. And what is, what is the purpose of fire? You know, and fire has lots of purposes, you know. For heat, for light. You know, we could have used a fire over at the property yesterday if we could have got away with it. We could have burned up a lot, consumed a lot of things. And, and that's one of the pictures of the, the Holy Spirit as a baptism of fire that he's consuming. That he desires to consume our lives. That that, that is that dynamite, that power that he wants to consume us. He's not looking to burn us. But he's looking to consume us for the glory of Jesus Christ. And you know, when we think of just the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the work of the, the Spirit, I, I always think this, you know, it's, this isn't about, you know, chasing experiences. When we talk about the work of the Spirit, sometimes it just gets turned into this idea that we're, that we're chasing experiences, chasing spiritual highs. But I, w- I would say this, no, being Spirit-filled is about the long trajectory of life. Following Jesus to the finish line. That's the spirit-filled life. The long trajectory of a spirit-filled life. And the illustration that I always love that I think of when, when I think of the spirit-filled life is that of the Dead Sea in comparison to the Sea of Galilee. Both are fed by the same source. The Jordan River goes into the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River goes into the Dead Sea. They have the same source entering into them. But it's interesting that the, that the Dead Sea is obviously different from the Sea of Galilee because it's dead, you know. Life, life goes into it, those fish, you know, gingerly swimming along, and down they go into the Sea of Galilee, and bloop, it's belly up, man. Over they go. Because life cannot live in that Dead Sea. Life cannot live where... There's no outflow, actually. That's, that's the picture. And that's where the Sea of Galilee is so different because it's a picture of the Holy Spirit-empowered life. It has an inflow and it has an outflow. It's not a stagnant body of water that's just sitting there, evaporating, collecting life and letting it die. No, the Sea of Galilee has life flowing into it and it has life coming out of it. And because there is life going out of it, It is in need of a continual refilling. If you cut off the tap that fills the Sea of Galilee, it would run dry because it's being emptied all the time. And that needs to be our lives. That needs to be our lives. And we need that refilling of the Spirit. The Dead Sea, on the other hand, has that inflow, but no outflow. And so any life that does come into it, it's fruitless, it's lifeless. And you know, just this morning, I guess the question is this, is which are you? That living sea, the Sea of Galilee, then awesome, man. That is awesome. Praise the Lord for that. Are you like the Dead Sea? Man, then you need a fresh touch of Jesus on your life. If you're feeling like the Dead Sea, a fresh work of of the Spirit. You know, Zechariah 
chapter 13 prophesies about when Jesus comes back. We were kind of uh, in Zechariah about this time last year. And we saw in, in I think it's Zechariah 13, that when, that when Jesus comes, that when, when he returns and his feet touch the earth again, that when he comes to the Mount of Olives, that that mountain will split. And you know what will flow from it? Water. Water will flow from that mountain. And the scripture prophesies that it will flow to the Dead Sea and that Dead Sea will come alive. That it will come alive. And you know, when we're feeling dead, the, the, the reality is this, is what we need is Jesus to touch down on us. Jesus to touch down and to pour out his spirit upon us again and make us living and, and vitalize us. To be baptized in the spirit so that instead of being lifeless Christians, we become those who have that inflow and outflow and overflow from the spirit. John the Baptist said it best. He said this about Jesus. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. And the way Jesus increases is by the work of the Spirit in our lives. And so I just want to encourage you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And this morning, I just thought we would do this. That we just take a bit of time to ask the Spirit of God to refresh us this morning. You game for that? That we would just ask God to refresh us by the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, maybe we want to just say to the Lord, Lord, I need that fresh outpouring. Lord Jesus, I need that uh, fresh baptism in the spirit. You know, the, the Lord said this in Luke chapter 11. He said this, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And, and the question for us is this, if our father's good, then why would we just not ask for the work of the spirit? fresh in our lives this morning. What does that mean? It means this. Ask. Ask the Lord for that inflow. Ask him for that fresh baptism. And so this morning, uh, I'm going to invite you to stand. I just want to pray.